0: This is WNHH 103.5 FM Community Radio in New Haven, Connecticut. This is The Table Underground, and I'm your host, Tegan Engel. We're digging into stories about food, radical love, and creative social justice. While tons of folks are avoiding bread and carbs like the plague, the team at Atticus Bakery, located in New Haven, Connecticut, has their hands deep in delicious sourdough, and they're crafting incredible new loaves of bread every day. For the first time in generations, wheat is being grown in the state and milled fresh for these exceptionally delicious sourdough breads, and I am totally in love. The folks making it are in love not only with the bread, but also every detail of the process. I jumped at the chance to geek out with them about bread baking, growing wheat, and why they care so much about what they do. Atticus Cafe and Bookstore first opened in 1976 and is owned by the same family that runs Chabasso Bakery, which ships fresh and par-baked ciabatta breads to grocery stores all along the East Coast and into the Midwest. This four-ingredient ciabatta, made with yeast, are what they built their business on and have served up in the cafe for decades. That is until two years ago, when the second generation of the family, son Charlie Nagaro, took over as cafe manager and hired baker and sourdough fanatic Josh Cantor who transform their bread baking from yeasted ciabatta loaves to the sourdough breads they bake today. On a mission to remove pesticide sprayed and mass-produced flour from their bakery, the team has set out on an ever-evolving journey of experimentation that they hope will someday have an impact on baked goods, the earth, and grain growing well beyond the cafe. Charlie and Josh joined me at Baobab Tree Studios to talk about every gooey detail of their successes and challenges with bread. Hi, Charlie. Hi, Josh.
1: Hi, Tegan. Hi, Tegan.
0: (laughs) Nice to see you. (laughs)
1: Nice to see you, too.
0: So, Charlie, you uh, stepped into your family business. Can you tell me when that happened and uh, what what were you doing when you first got involved?
1: So, I started to work at the bakery in 2006. And I was there for about 10 years ago, for 10 years. And at the end of 10 years, I really wanted to try to do something different. Um, and the opportunity came up to work at Atticus. Atticus was at this point that it had been around for 40 years. It needed a next chapter and I jumped slash fell into, um, stumbled into that opportunity of taking Atticus into this next chapter. Um, and that had been right after I'd gone to the grain gathering out in near Seattle, and gone to the grain gathering, came back from that, and said, this is what I want to do. I want to do something meaningful with grains, and had thought about just leaving New Haven. And someone or somehow the, the thought got into my head around, well, why don't you just use the resources available to you to affect change in your community rather than leaving and going to a different community?
0: Yeah, how many people Want to work in greens, but have a family business that makes bread and a cafe that's selling bread. And right, exactly. When you say it like
1: that, it makes a whole <laughs> yeah, lot of sense. A unique advantage in
2: doing exactly. this. It's like,
1: oh, okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we started off uh, walking down this road of what can we do with Atticus? Uh, how can we change this business? About a year into it, uh, I'd met Josh through Reed, our communications director, and I remember the the drive up to Osa Restaurant. With Reed to like go have dinner and talk to our friend Matt, who now also works for us. And Reed was saying, "Hey, we could do this thing where we go hire a baker, we go hire someone like Matt, we go hire an AGM from Barcelona to come run the restaurant." And um, from
0: Barcelona restaurant, not yeah, yeah, from yeah. Thank you. (laughs)
1: And uh, all three of those things have happened. Mm. And the first step of that was to buy this oven. The second step of that was hiring Josh. Um, And we we started off the. We started off this with the mantra of "do cool," um, and that's what we keep trying to do. Yeah.
0: yeah. So, when you say "do this thing," mm-hmm. what what was this thing that mm. you were trying to do?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So,
0: because <laughs> people listening but, don't necessarily know your story, that's like the yeah. reason we're talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <hey. laughs>
1: so this thing is it's kind of complicated. It's a lot of things, but really, it's it's this culture that we've been bringing to Atticus. Mm-hmm to be able to um, create meaningful change in our food system. Um, and the first expression of that has been to uh, cr- to grow our own grains, create our own small little bakery, and to make fresh-milled bread, mm-hmm. our fresh-milled flour bread. So uh, that's the thing.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cool. So I've been going to Atticus since I was a little kid, mm. and um, – have always loved it and I love it. it's a bookstore and a cafe and mm-hmm. the bread has always been like a really central part of it for me like mm-hmm. I remember going there you guys m- used to make baguettes and you'd serve them like sliced and kind of cut but not all the way through and warm with like three pots of jelly <laughs> and as a kid that was like complete heaven like warm warm bread with butter mm-hmm. and three pots of jelly mm-hmm. so that was my first association with Atticus um, and you know now I go there with my kids who hang out in the bookstore and I go and eat your really amazing bread. So awesome. uh, I'm what a, what a nice
2: food memory too. Yeah. <laughs> <Yes. You know? laughs> yeah. That yeah. that your that your childhood memory of bread didn't come from a package. Yeah. Just just even that is is, is pretty nice. Yeah. 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 yeah, it's great.
1: I have a lot of those too. Some of them were black bean soup. I remember yes. my dad jokingly left me at the counter one time and was like told one of the wait staff that I was paying the bill <laughs> and I didn't know he was joking. Oh.
0: Yeah. Yes, that's terrible. Yeah, it was terrible. The black bean soup is, is classic. We That yeah. is still our favorite thing to get and mm-hmm. has always been one of my favorite things. And I remember y- we used to go and get uh, cheesecake, New York-style mm-hmm. cheesecake yeah. you guys made really good. There was like a case up by the front when in the 80s cheesecake was yeah. like the thing. So, um, yeah, so Josh, you came into the picture. So Atticus has, has for years been selling Chabasso bread from the Chabasso... Uh, bread Company, which like distributes all across the East Coast, the Northeast and s- part of the Southeast, too, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, into the Midwest. And into the Midwest. And so you you guys have done this sort of revolutionary thing of starting this totally separate new bread program. How? Mm-hmm. So you originally are from Connecticut, mm-hmm. from Stanford. Mm-hmm. And then last I know before you came back here, you were in New Mexico. Yeah. Baking bread, how, yeah. how did you end up there and how'd you end up back here and baking sourdough?
2: So yeah, I, I was doing some AmeriCorps service in New Mexico with this program called FoodCorps and uh, my job was primarily to grow vegetables with kids, but uh, I had uh, some experience making bread just as a summer job and we had a connection to uh, a food pantry in town and a relationship there and I was able to go in once a week, make some bread, bring it to the farmer's market and raise money for my gardens and before i knew it i was known as the bread guy around town that's awesome um and that kind of snowballed i found that i had this passion for making stuff with my hands and giving food that i made to people and watching their faces light up and like all those all those stimuli were very rein- reinforcing in a very positive way for me and i kind of took that thread and and just pulled it as far as i could the AmeriCorps service gave me some education money that I was able to spend and go to the French Culinary Institute in New York mm. and learn more about the craft. I mean, I had only had a summer job at that point. yeah. So, uh, yeah, took that experience, had an internship in the city, went back to New Mexico, rented out a pizza restaurant for almost two years, working the night shift from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. when the pizza spot was closed. And, yeah, really just was grinding for a while and realized that that could only go so far. I could only do that for so long. Mm -hmm. I was like, (laughs) I was destroying myself. I was destroying all my relationships. And I mean, (laughs) at the end, it wasn't even that. It wasn't fun. It it stopped being fun. And when I realized that it stopped being fun for that reason, not for the reasons of like pulling bread out of the oven and and eating it, I realized that if I wanted to continue to do bread, I needed to do it in like a, a real way. And it just so happened that a friend of mine in town really wanted to start a coffee shop right at the same time that I was really struggling. And we said, well, we should just do this cafe thing. Mm. So I was going to bring the bread and he was going to bring the coffee. And um, and we just did that. That's we great. really found a cool spot downtown, refurbished it. It's, it was a beautiful space. And yeah. we ran that for almost two years. I have like this two year track. I do things for two years. Well, (laughs) hopefully
0: you'll do this for a little longer than two years. So how did you get into doing sourdough? Uh, Like when did you transition from doing like yeast raised breads to fermented sourdough raised breads?
2: Yeah, um, I was doing yeasted pre-ferments for probably two years before I really got into sourdoughs. Because sourdough, if you really want to do it properly, it needs to be a focus. You know, you can't just kind of do this part time. So it wasn't until I started um, going to the, after I got back from the French Culinary Institute that I um, really maintained and and had a thriving sourdough culture. Mm -hmm. Many people want to, hey, can you bring some sourdough? You know, can you give me some sourdough? And I say, listen, like, if you don't take care of this, it's not going to last. You really need to. It's dead in a day. Yeah, Yeah. it'll be dead tomorrow if you don't do this correctly yeah so.
0: so this is this is an important piece of this can you explain like how do you take care of a sourdough starter right mm-hmm. so this isn't like a packet of yeast or a block of like fresh yeast this is like a living organism right yeah. so how if people have this how do they take care of it
2: so time stories yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, beyond loving it and singing <laughs> to it we we think about our sourdough in the same way that we think about what makes us comfortable you know. so we're alive and sourdoughs are alive and you wouldn't want to be stored in a fridge that's 38 degrees for more than an hour. So we never put our fri- our sourdough in the fridge. Um, we found that for our schedule and our needs, um, we like to ferment our sourdough at about 64 degrees. Mm-hmm. Just so happens to be the, the maximum temperature that you can use on a wine cooler, which is how we ferment our sourdough. Yeah, because
1: mm. like refrigerators aren't allowed to go above 38, I think right. it is, so we had to find something that would... Keep sixty-four. Yeah, um, winter or summer. Yes,
2: yeah. and and for for a very long time, it was a a very convoluted fermentation schedule mm-hmm. uh, with the mm-hmm. sourdough it at Atticus a, yeah involved the fridge it involved, <laughs> it involved out of the fridge someone on third shift taking it out and or then not just, taking I, it out of the fridge. I think I screamed like the last time and then I I think I screamed and Charlie was like all right we just can't have this happen anymore <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> okay this needs to change so we uh, we put our heads together and found out yeah. a way that we just because if you can imagine you know you'd be coming in in the morning to you know bake off the breads mm-hmm. that you fermented the day before and mix the next day's breads. And if you come in and your sourdough is not ripe, yeah. you know, silence, there's nothing yeah, to do. You can't do anything. You can't do anything. Right. Yeah.
0: yeah, your bread will not rise. Yeah. So I'm gonna jump us forward. So you you guys met, Charlie and mm-hmm. Josh met through Reed, who mm-hmm. now works for Chabasso and you knew Josh knew from college. And mm-hmm. so you all met, you decided to leave your cafe in New Mexico and mm-hmm. you said, I'm taking a road trip back to New Haven mm-hmm. and doing this thing with Charlie, like leap of faith, gonna mm-hmm. try this cool sourdough yes. new program yeah. at Atticus. Yes. So it's kind of cool cause you have like this huge bread bakery, but you've niched out a little corner with your own oven mixer mm-hmm. table area where you can do your own thing with the greens you're using. And you have a cafe where you're featuring the bread. So it's not like you're trying to put your sourdough into not, you know, half circulation around half the United States. You're right. sort of yeah. starting it out in a yeah. cafe. So that's like a good setup for like, let's try something. Mm-hmm. So tell me a little bit about over these two years almost that you've been working together, what have you been making? What have you been trying to do here?
1: Uh, we've been keeping it pretty f- focused on three or four groups of bread. So, and then trying to find creativity within those groupings so sometimes limitations are actually really i find limitations to be really helpful because like i'm all over the place Mm -hmm. so we have shaped breads we have sandwich breads we have these like pan danish style breads right Mm -hmm. did i get that right yeah so it's three different groups um and then
2: yeah and within those uh you know we have a category of what we call country and you know country breads are a dime a dozen. There, there, there. Yeah. There's a thousand different country breads. Right. Our, our version yeah. is in flux. You know, we, d- we, we swap out the type of wheats that that are inside. We swap out the the percentage of uh, of wheat of whole grain wheat in, in the in the in the loaf. Mm-hmm. Um, we have a category of wheat breads that are predominantly wheat, fifty percent wh- uh, white, fifty percent wheat, mm-hmm. and um, probably the coolest category that I would say is our porridge. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Which um, is a cool technique of incorporating whole grains that are fermented uh, before, uh, yeah, pre-fermented and cooked, and then added to a dough. So it's a you can add in things that are sort of um, less. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for?
0: Like a grain that's not necessarily going to mill yeah. into a flour, but yeah. you could put in like, uh, yeah, like some a, other kind of seed or grain. Exactly. Some and you mean the whole thing or that's actually milled? So we'll
2: crack it. Yeah. Okay. We, we found that you have to crack it, actually. Yeah. It makes sense that a seed is impermeable to water until right. you crack it. And so we need to f- crack it so the water can get in and um, the sourdough can get in and yeah. start eating yeah. away at some starch. And it, then, it's like
1: modern day multigrain bread. Yeah. So, and just like with oatmeal, like you would cook oats to eat them. You wouldn't just like soak them because, right. um, you're they just get mushy. They, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they don't <laughs> taste very great. They just taste, taste starchy. So you are fermenting these grains, which makes them more digestible and more yummy. Um, and then you're cooking them just like you would any other grain. Yeah. Um, and then that adds this like really awesome gummy, but in a good way texture to the bread, mm-hmm. and it gives it shelf life too. Like everybody who brings a porridge home, they're like, "I left it on my counter for a week, and it was still good." It's like <laughs> great, thank you.
0: Yeah, and so there's this really important. I, I want to ask you two things about sort of that why you're doing this with these grains. So first of all, can you explain why you're not just buying bags of flour anymore from? Even a good supplier like King Arthur or someone who's trying to do a good job at, at milling grain, but why are you um, using kind of other kinds of wheat? And now actually growing. We can get into mm-hmm. the, the growing project that mm-hmm. you're doing, but first, just like why are you not just buying bags of flour?
2: So, the first uh, we we purchased a, a small home size Como mill, a stone <laughs> mill. Uh, it, it must be it must be over a year now we've been doing. Fresh milled, I
1: think so. Yeah,
2: and we it actually came out of wanting to be at the farmers market. We actually needed a Connecticut product to mm-hmm. enter at the farmers market. N- having fresh, I mean, freshly baked bread isn't local enough. So we found we found a, a, a wheat supplier in um, right around Coventry. Yeah, Andy at a Stone Still River Still Farm. Still River Farm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and and he was our source for a Connecticut product. Right, so. What we're doing it, what I mean, what that let us do is actually enter the farmer's market but also keep our dollars inside Connecticut. So we could just buy commodity wheat, fresh millet and better. But now we're actually supporting a grower and all of the infrastructure around growing wheat, which is cleaning, which is bagging, which is all mm-hmm. you know yeah, exactly. All of those pieces mm-hmm. are now inside the state. Yeah.
0: And is that also reducing your cost because you're milling it yourself or not at all? (laughs) Okay. Yeah, Yeah. I know.
1: But the nice thing about it is we feel better about um, the dollars going into it are going to, like Josh was saying, they're going to Connecticut Farmers, they're going to our staff rather than going to Cargill. Mm -hmm. So we're on this, we kind of like informally started this mission of like, okay, let's get commodity white flour out of Atticus Bakery. Because if Atticus can be an influence for Chabasso, Chabasso uses twenty five thousand pounds of flour, white flour a day. Um and I the yeah, the part I forgot to mention before is that like um I had never been in a wheat field <clears throat> until wow. my ten years at Chebaso were over. And um hmm. and uh and that it's an interesting place to find yourself when you're totally lost in life. You're like, huh, okay. I, I think I get this now. I think I understand what I've been totally screwing up and how I've been been a part of the problem. Um, and I, this is how we feel, or this is how I feel I can be part of the solution. So, mm. and the, and it's, you know, it hasn't been exactly clear how to do it either. Like we found Andy through Matt and we asked him, Hey Andy, can you mill this stuff? And he was like, ha ha ha. Very funny. No. Um, there are no mills in Connecticut. Like you can go buy one. Um, so we did and we didn't really know what we were doing. Josh went off to, where did you go? Needing conference and met Andrew.
2: Oh, that was at the uh, Wheatstock.
1: Wheatstock, yeah,
2: in Rhode Island. Yeah, which is three days of baking and learning. (laughs) (laughs) That's straight from the pamphlet. Yeah, yeah. Um, Um, And and that was amazing. You know, he uh, Andrew uh, of New American Stone Mills. Okay, he has like a what what started as a side business to his bakery. He was manufacturing these stone mills because you couldn't buy any of the size that he wanted for his Mm -hmm. bakery. Yeah. Um, and uh, he was up there and showing out, showing off his mill. And we got to, like, see this 48-inch 48, 48 stone mill operating. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's a behemoth, you know? Yeah. Man.
0: So just to also help explain, like, when people buy a bag of flour at the store, it says, like, enriched, right? And there's yep. all these other things, like... Um I don't know, niacin and vitamins and and like uh, (laughs) there's a lot of stuff added into the flour, like a long list of what's called enriched, even Mm -hmm. when you're getting like good unbleached Mm -hmm. flour a lot of the time. So Mm -hmm. were you trying to kind of avoid all these extra additives and just kind of have not only not like a commodity grown kind of factory farm yeah massive well so you have to
1: anytime you produce white flour in america you by law you have to enrich it Mm -hmm. um i think that was yeah Yeah. so i think in like the 30s when we started first started making white flour um we found that uh the government found that people were malnourished and that was because we were taking all the nutrition out of one of the larger parts of their diet which was wheat so if you're eating white bread, you're not getting, you're not really getting any fiber. You're not really getting any of the micronutrients and you're not really getting much of the, or any of the healthy fats. Mm-hmm. All you're getting are the sugars and some of the proteins. So, um, you have to enrich white flour by uh, law, by law. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's not necessarily a bad thing The what they're doing is kind of asked backwards. They're adding nutrition into something that we, you take it out of. So. Right,
0: because they're taking yeah. off the right. the right. outside of the grain, which is where the nutrients yeah. are, which yeah. is what makes it the whole mm-hmm. wheat brown right. part. And yeah, then exactly. they're just giving you the inside, which is right. the white part.
1: Yeah, so they're taking off bran endos- right. in the germ, just leaving endosperm, which is white flour. Right, yeah. So, I mean, we, for that reason, one, because it's more nutritious, but also just a fresh milled varietal grain is, I think Dan Barber's quote is, doing to flour what the heirloom tomato did to the tomato. So his uh, – in th- I think it's in – is it in Third Plate where he says the flour is the last thing we've farmed to table? Mm. And you really get that once you've tasted bread with a nice varietal of fl- grain or flour. Yeah. Um,
0: and just in terms of how delicious it is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. How I'm totally addicted to your bread. I think I've told you this, but I now – like I, I'm a pretty savvy shopper in terms of getting like things that are well-sourced but like not too expensive and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then I tasted your whole wheat country loaf, like your wheat mm-hmm. country loaf, and it is the most delicious bread I think i've and I've eaten a, like a lot of bread. I mm. love bread, and the texture of it, the flavor of it, the crustiness, like the mm. laciness of the inside it's mm-hmm. and the flavor like it's not too sour it's not it's just got mm-hmm. great flavor it's mm. so good Thank so you. I now make a pilgrimage like once a week to Atticus <laughs> and get a yeah. loaf of bread and invest in it and like ration it mm-hmm. in my in my family nice. and I eat like a slice of it every morning for mm-hmm. breakfast nice. toasted nice and brown mm-hmm. so yes it tastes delicious mm-hmm. thank you <laughs> yeah it's so good yeah, that's yeah, my like
2: favorite it. as well uh, that's what i had this morning the country weed yeah,
0: yeah it's so good <sighs>
2: nice
0: so in addition to making this gorgeous these these gorgeous breads there's one of them sitting here in front of us which we'll taste in a second but um in addition to this, you all have started growing wheat. So was there any wheat aside from this one farm? Was it only this one farm in Connecticut growing wheat? Mm-hmm. And yeah. how many acres were they growing? Yeah.
1: So that that, that again was one of these like, <clears throat> we knew enough just to be dangerous. Um, <laughs> like Andy Andy at Still River Farm has this like tiny little uh, part of his farm. I think it's maybe five acres. So by comparison, the New Haven Green is, is 16 acres. Mm. Just to, for a second, put that in context of Chabasso's usage of flour, 25,000 pounds of flour a day is about 15 to 16 acres of land a day. So somewhere in the United States, there's a New Haven green coming to Chabasso to be consumed with flour. So for us, it was like, oh, cool. Like, let's, can we do that in Connecticut? Um, When we were like, okay, Andy's got, I think Andy had like 2,000 pounds of uh, something called Redeemer hard winter wheat, red hard red winter wheat. We went through that really quickly. And while Andy was like selling this to us, we are like, hey Andy, can you make like 20,000 pounds next year? And he again laughed. He was like, <laughs> we're like, wait, what's so funny? He was like, uh, no, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> but I know somebody who might be able to. I'll introduce you to Robin Bass and Jenny Bass. So Robin and Jenny are on like one of the oldest farms in Connecticut and that happens to be like one of the oldest farms in America it's like 1706 or something um the street they're on is Bass Road uh it's up in Scotland Connecticut they have 500 acres and they are uh they've been they did like dairy for 30 years and then they switched to feed corn as Robin got older and and couldn't take care of cows yeah um and as taking care of cows got started to get like really complicated so they've just been renting out their 500 acres and getting enough money to get by. Uh, the new Connecticut farm situation is that most people are doing dairy cows and feed corn <clears throat> and their commodities. They'll plant a crop of corn not really knowing how much money they're going to get at the end of, at the end of the growing season. Right. So it's enough for some of them to live, but it's not enough for them to like really thrive and have a great life and um, you know, they're not really proud of what they're doing. So we got introduced to them and they had done, s- grown some wheat for the Agurn group. They have the Nordic food court in Grand Central Station and they did it and they loved it. And like one year went well and the second year, didn't go well. And the relationship fell apart. Didn't and go
0: well as in the crop didn't, yeah didn't thrive.
1: They had. So when you're growing something like that and you don't have all your equip- own equipment, you have somebody with a combine come in. And they'll, uh, you know, if you're if you're spraying stuff on it, that person will spray on it. They pick the timing. They'll combine the stuff down. So I'll say we did, we've been doing all of this without any herbicides or pesticides. So mm-hmm. there's no Roundup. Uh, you know, traditionally, you're spraying a fungicide at the beginning. You're spraying herbicides as it mm-hmm. comes up, spraying a pesticide during. We haven't done any of that. So the second year they did that, they were out there spraying Roundup to knock down the weeds before they harvest it's a pretty traditional uh habit and that's why there's roundup in everything we eat uh and then, in traditional
0: habit, we should say, in American yeah, sorry, kind of commercial yeah. farming. There are certainly commercial. It's not traditional. Yes, there yeah, are certainly right? not, <laughs> there are <yeah>. certainly <laughs> yeah. lots of farmers that it's traditionally now, yeah. never did exactly, that, and yeah. and so that is yeah. like American current American modern, chemical yeah. farming. Yes. Modern terrible habit. It's, I think it's so important that you know in our country we label things that are organic. We label things when we don't do things to them, instead right. of labeling when we do do things right. to them, and it's really problematic yeah. because that like reinforces this idea and this standard that like chemical intervention is normal Um, right right? and that's what we're supposed to do that's called conventional right Mm, yeah (laughs) and that these other things are the alternative versus like we should actually be labeling the things when we put crap on them not when we're not putting crap on them and put the burden of that on the farmers that are you know people who are putting things on it that are toxic to us rather than put the financial burden of that on the people who are not but Anyway, organic
1: back to your story. The conversation around organic is kind of how we started and where how we came up with this mission statement at Atticus where it's like, what can a bookstore cafe do for a food system community that's better for everyone?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and it's like, organic's great, but is shipping organic raspberries across the country from Driscoll's great? No. No, especially when
0: they're having like major workers' rights yeah, exactly. abuses they, all over Latin exactly. America. Yeah. 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 So, does um, it matter that they're not spraying them not quite as yeah. much well, they are they're probably spraying people. the heck out
1: of them, but it's organic yeah so um, mm-hmm. but so organic's wonderful, but you need to in Europe they have something called bio it's a biodynamic, mm-hmm. so they have something that's like more encompassing, so what we want to be is an example of this more all encompassing better for everyone um and it's and we do it as a question because we don't know the answer, we're kind of figuring this out as it goes along. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what we do know is like some of these little micro points that we were sure that we want to be doing. So like not spraying, like how do we get flour that doesn't have Roundup on it? it means you got to right. do it yourself. Um,
0: and so, so what were you saying about the farm that they would bring someone yep. with a combine to do harvesting and stuff and then something yeah. didn't work around <laughs> so them? So they or? sprayed
1: Roundup on it too early and that turned the, the wheat berry into mush. Mm-hmm. So the, it just, the whole program fell apart. And Robin and Jenny, who liked this program, just didn't didn't have the backup to be able to do it again. We met them about a year later and, uh, proposed that we will go out and buy some wheat seed for them to plant on some land that they weren't renting. Uh, they went, they did it. Um, and you know, it's not like farmers, uh, no, like I went in, I go into all these things with like these silly sets of assumptions and, um, and have learned enough to not share the assumptions because I'm usually wrong. So um, some uh, learned in this really quickly that like, you know, not all farmers are equipped with the knowledge to rotate crops. Yeah. Um, and uh, we learned after the first season of trying to plant wheat that it was like, oh, okay, so this is not as simple as just like throwing stuff in the ground. Uh, Was we, that
0: something that you knew about in advance, or, or
1: I knew it about as like a concept, yeah. Um Like rotating crops, yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. Uh, to keep weeds out of out of a, a a part of land that you're trying to grow something in. You need to put in a cover crop, mm-hmm. um, and they've I mean never practiced that yeah it's not
0: only weed reduction it also enriches the soil because you want to plant something that's replacing the soil with nitrogen or other things from whatever the crop was that came out and then also by putting a crop in a new part of the farm Mm -hmm. that if it had disease or fungus Mm -hmm. or something you're not continually planting in the same place and so it's both about like enriching the soil Mm -hmm. and about healthy just having healthy crops beyond the nutrients in the
1: soil yeah dirt farming another another Dan Barber (laughs) quote sorry uh so this became a let's grow wheat in Connecticut to let's support farmers in Connecticut to mm-hmm. be able to do this program of growing of of a local grain economy.
0: And so now you've been at this a couple of years. Have you had a successful crop of
1: yeah. of wheat? Wonderfully. This last year and we have some here for you. Yeah. Let's get it. Yeah. We got we got fifteen thousand pounds um of wheat out of the farm or and next thing we have to do is clean it. So you'll see it has like chaff in it. It's got some rice seeds in it. Yeah. So it's like this um,
0: beautiful kind of caramel brown color. What kind of wheat is this?
1: It's Glen Spring and that's a spring wheat. And
0: uh, is this a wheat that's like a really high producing wheat so that you can, on the little bit of acres you have, get get yeah. more out of it?
1: Yeah. It's not a heritage wheat. So the, the heritage wheats that everybody talk about, like einkorn or yeah. what are some other ones, like red fife or turkey red. Mm-hmm. I think red fife's a hybrid. But... The old ones don't do a lot of yield per acreage. So farm, and they're they're not exactly built to stand up, like they haven't been hybridized. So this is a dwarf. It, it has been mixed with a dwarf wheat, so it's not going to get as tall. So it's not going to bolt. Bolting is when wheat gets really tall and falls over, mm-hmm. which means you can't. You can't then harvest you it. You can't harvest yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's a hard red spring wheat. That's it's bread flour for us.
0: That's awesome. And yeah. so is this one here, the milled wheat. Mm-hmm. And so, how did it go from the berry to the mill? Was that? Did you do it's this stuff through our little stone
1: mill? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Cute. And you're yeah. doing
0: this every day in the bakery.
1: Yes. That's that might be the first flour we've made from that actually. Yeah. Like first real flour, yeah, it's
0: nice. It's like it's pretty fine. You know, sometimes like whole wheat flour, the bran and the Mm -hmm. um and the germ are still Mm -hmm. really hard. And then I know when I've tried to bake with it at home, it you know that cuts it cuts the gluten because I I was sort of learning about this and geeking out on a little Mm -hmm. bit the bran and the germ when you're trying to knead it, it sort of cuts the gluten strands, Mm -hmm. and that's why wheat bread is not doesn't have the always the nice texture. Mm -hmm. So is it hard to get it ground this fine with your mill?
2: Um, yes and no. Uh, it kind of. It kind of depends on the usage of the day, whether the whether the stones are, are too hot or we've been mm. milling the milling <laughs> for hours at a time. But yeah. no, this this is this is pretty typical of our of our extraction from the mill. Um, it's funny though that a lot of that sandiness isn't actually in some cases um, the bran. It's actually unpulverized endosperm, un, mm. un- unpulverized starch. So um, when you have stuff like that where you can see a white fleck mm-hmm. um that is um yeah that's this that's the unpulverized starch and and uh that won't make good flour either um okay. yeah so it, even if you sifted off the bran from stuff like that it wouldn't it wouldn't produce proper gluten
0: okay so can you just walk us through the steps of you have yeah. the sourdough starter that you keep alive in the bakery and um how do you go from that to a loaf of bread
2: mm-hmm. so i'll start at the end of one day okay Say it's 2 o'clock, we're wrapping up the day. The last thing we do is feed the sourdough for the next day. Which actually, means what? It is sourdough, actually, because there are several different starters that we have. Yeah. Um. And so this one that we're, or the loaf we're looking at is our country, which is fed from a stiff white. And um, in baker's percentages, it's half the weight of the flour is going to be the water in this case, so 50%. Uh, hydration so if we had a kilo of flour it'd be 500 grams of water Mm -hmm. and um yeah we're we're making like 20 some odd pounds of stiff leaven in these these days um and uh so
0: meaning the dough that you're using to make the bread yeah (laughs) yes Yes, exactly just to translate (laughs) yes so you're having one part one part water two parts flour correct and then some amount of starter yeah
2: and like 0.1 parts uh starter, starter and so the case. starter
0: is like um a mushy mash of your
2: it's just the start it's the, just a leftover yeah. sourdough from that day right? yeah okay yeah. and and uh
1: and you're feeding it every day cuz it needs new food yeah
2: yeah at at that point in the day it is uh, it's kind of uh quite glue glue like in the beginning of the day it has still a, a fair amount of strength in it and that's sort of another way to tell the ripeness or the age of a sourdough but that's beside so wait, point.
0: the I'm sorry, the the one part water, the 50% hydration is how you're feeding your starter. That's or our, that's 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 your our d- recipe. That's your recipe. Yeah. Okay, for your bread. Yeah, no, uh, for oh, our sourdough. Sa-
2: for okay, our, for our sourdough. Yeah. Okay. And people feed at many different ratios of water okay. to the flour. In right. our case, we chose to do a 50% hydration.
1: So we do a st- yeah, like you said, we do a stiff. So a liquid would be. One part, one part, right. Plus mm-hmm. the seed or the mother. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, there's like a million different names for basically the same thing. Like right. Levan, starter, mother. Right. We use okay. all of them. We do. All right. So use you do them. that at the end of the day. Sorry, that's sorry. that's, that's the yeah, <laughs> <a> last Interchangeable.
2: <laughs> so we'll do that's that. Two o'clock. We'll 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 go home, and then the next day we'll come in, and that will have fermented in our wine cooler at 64 <laughs> degrees, and um, and then our we begin our process for making bread. So what we do is uh, pitch the uh. Water and the flour into the mixing bowl. Incorporate those two ingredients. That's called an auto-lease. So that's just flour and water. Those are going to sit out for 20 minutes. Um, then we're going to put uh, salt and the and the stiff leaven, the ripe stiff leaven, and um, and incorporate those now into the autolyse dough. The auto-lease is a process of aligning the protein strands, the gluten <laughs> strands, uh, passively to develop them. So you can make bread without this auto-lease technique. But it'll require more mixing. Mm. So our idea, our theory, and this is a theory of many people, is that the least amount of touching, the more amount of flavor. Mm-hmm. Um, the oxidation that occurs in the mixing process can impact those volatile, mm-hmm. fragile flavors that we're protective of. And so you know we've built an entire system around creating we want to hold on to as much mm-hmm. as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we're going to incorporate the salt and the leaven into this autolise dough, mix it to uh, a desired amount, and then throw that finished dough into a bucket. And it's going to sit for about three hours. Okay. Then we're going to divide it, pre-shape it into rounds. That's going to sit out for 20 minutes. And then that is going to be shaped and placed into a, uh, a lined basket. It's called a banneton. And that those lined baskets, and I go sit in the fridge for 16 to 18 hours so at, next morning, yeah. at around 38 degrees. And then we're going to pick those out of the fridge in the next morning and bake them. Mm. So it's a two
1: day, from like feeding to baking, it's 40, 40 hours.
0: And so do you go right from the fridge, you're turning them out of the baskets, mm-hmm. right? And then. Are they proofing it all at room temperature? They're doing no. right in the oven, and are you then cutting the tops after that? Right. And yeah.
2: I I left all those. nuances Yeah, you gotta tell us all
0: out. the little things. Yeah, yeah I so mean, I eaten a little bit of bread. Yeah, I know
2: yeah. So, yeah, yeah. This, so we, we use the we we hand load everything. Yeah. So we have these wooden peels with a small handle on it. It's like a like a pizza peel. It's a pizza peel. Mm-hmm. And um,
0: what are you putting on the pizza peel so that it so the bread slides off? Um, we
2: actually just use uh, wheat flour, white okay. flour, um. I've seen many places use semolina okay. or rice flour or um cornmeal. So I think you're scoring the top. We use like, a, a we use a tool or... called a lam. Okay. It's spelled L A M E and oh, it has a cur- I didn't know that. Has a it's a curved uh, ri- double-sided razor blade. Okay. So if you have ever seen like an old um razor that a man would use in the For 60s? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um yeah, it's, a, it's the exact same thing. And we, yeah, we go through one razor a day. Essentially, there's four sides of it. Okay. Which yeah. is kind of of. And nice.
0: so then you're putting it in the oven. How hot is your oven for, for the country loaf? Uh, <laughs> we load at
2: 482 degrees, which uh-huh. is, I think, 250 degrees Celsius. Okay. Yeah.
0: And... Are you spraying any water? Like I know, like sometimes when people yes. are making baguettes or want yes. like a really hard crust, at yes, a certain yeah. point in the baking, they're spraying or tossing yes. water in the oven to create yes. steam, which creates a crust. Are you doing yes. something with like it? Yes, yes, yeah. steam's, steam's a big steam deal. is yeah. huge. Yeah. Yeah. Deal. So is this yeah. an oven that that generates the steam itself, yes. or you? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah,
1: got, so we have like a bread. It's it's called a deck oven. Mm-hmm. It's made by Miwe M I W E. They're a German manufacturer. So it's got. Four decks. Four decks. Yeah, four decks. I always want to think it's five, even though. Yeah. Uh, so it's four decks. It's got top heat, bottom heat. That's those are independently yep. adjustable. It's yep. got this like really awesome program, so it can do one heat for twenty minutes and then one heat for five minutes, and it's like great. Yeah, it turns on while we're asleep. Yeah, it turns on while we're asleep. Yeah, it's yeah. amazing it's it's <laughs> Yeah, and so
0: yeah. is the steam sort of continuous or at certain points? Oh yeah, the baking? yeah,
2: right. It's only in the beginning. Okay.
0: It's
1: the first five seconds. Yeah, okay. and it's done. All right. Yeah, yeah. And so you're just trying to get like water on the outside of the bread to help it gelatinize the starches, and and you're doing a lot of different things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but like so you are tempering the air inside the oven Mm -hmm. because it's hot. Um, You still want a really hot deck though because you want it to jump. So you're temporarily tempering the whole. Um, Chamber. Chamber. Thank you. Yeah. In there. So you're kind of toning it down a little bit and it evens it out because steam is 200. Highly conductive. Yeah. Yeah. And it also kind of like reduces the the temp. So, and then you're gelatinizing the starches and that gives it the nice, like blistery, shiny crust. It also keeps it from torpedoing or locking in. Um, So if you get this like.
0: It it just gets really dense and it doesn't actually rise. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah.
2: In a loaf that wouldn't be properly steamed, just in case there's home bakers out there you'll see it kind of blow out from a side. Yeah. It'll, and that'll be like it'll a... rip. Yeah, yeah, that'll be like a weak point that hadn't fully set, but it still really wanted to grow. And so you'll be saying to yourself, man, if I only had enough steam, mm-hmm. I could bake bread like tartine or Atticus. Yeah,
0: sure. <laughs> <laughs> And I've done this, you know, informally by like throwing water in the bottom yeah. of the oven or like a spray right. bottle or something right. like that. And That's... just to get like a nice crust on a loaf of bread. Right. You yeah. could
2: create steam that way, but home ovens have a really hard time of
1: holding of the course. steam. Well, the Dutch oven cast iron thing works, perfectly because yeah. Yeah. it creates its own environment as like the bread is rising yeah. in that small little area it's like it's steaming itself yeah. yeah
0: so one thing about this bread is that you know it's a because it's a sourdough everything is fermented and because even the even the refrigerator process you have like it's continue you know the overnight right. rise right. is right. continuing to ferment and mm-hmm. so can you talk a little bit about um how that makes the bread more digestible and you know people are so worried about like carbs and bread and and I think like the value of bread like this is that it has a level of kind of deliciousness and mm-hmm. kind of digestibility that's mm-hmm. really different than kind of a packaged store-bought bread. Right. But can you talk a little so, about what that is?
2: You know, not in a not entirely. I can say that
0: Not from some, a nutritionist some, some, standpoint. Yeah, some, from yeah. a bread lover yeah. standpoint.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think this <there's> misconception <laughs> that bread is probiotic. Bread is not probiotic because it is cooked. Right. Right. It is not right. it is not raw food. Right. But all of the Food that our sourdough ate. I mean, let's 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 also be clear that sourdough and commercial yeast are different yet the same. They're sort mm-hmm. of doing the same thing. Right. Yeast bread is still fermented. Right. Um, so
1: there, but most still commercial breads aren't fermented for a long period of time. Absolutely, and yeah. I think that's kind, of, that's kind of what bro- I'm yeah.
0: asking you about is that like when you're soaking grains and when you're letting them sprout or ferment, yeah. you're actually changing the composition of them. And yeah. so then when you eat them, they're easier to digest, and that they also like change what the nutrients are that you're getting from them. And that's I couldn't correct. tell yeah. you like every scientific yeah. part of it, but in that way, not that it's probiotic, but that yes. it's sort of you're eating a very different kind yes. of of food, food. Mm-hmm. Than yes. Than if you're eating something where it rose, you know, it totally. rose on the counter for an hour, totally. and it was mm-hmm. like a commercial totally. weight. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: So the the sourdough has done a lot of work that your body would try to do or unpack the you know sort of the grains, and the sourdough has done a lot of that pre digestion for us. Yeah. And let's let's just be clear, f- fermentation is delicious as yeah. well. Right. So yeah. we're <laughs> we're actually building a lot.
1: Yeah, uh-huh. other the, than nutrition, and there's a lot coming out that I mean, like we're not scientists, but there's a lot of research coming out saying that wheat uh, kind of sensitivity can be because of how we treat the ingredients and how we're growing the ingredients and what the ingredients are. Yeah. But I mean, it's fermenting bread won't fix celiac. If you have celiac, no, don't, no, don't eat bread.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. So. You know, one thing I want to ask you about, I, I love, I've watched you as you've taken on this job at Atticus and I've seen you kind of, Charlie, be sort of reinvigorated and Mm -hmm. like, you're happy, like Mm -hmm. you're happy in a way now that I didn't see you happy a few years ago. And, and I've heard you talk about the work you do as kind of reinvigorating Mm -hmm. the bakery cafe and this bread program and, and some of your hopes for how that might impact like the massive Mm -hmm. bread, bread program for Chabasso. Yeah. And as a piece of that, I'm sort of curious, you know, sometimes in food we end up talking a lot about, like, how did we treat our crops? Like, did we spray yeah. them with Roundup or not? Right. The biggest part of the food system <laughs> is the people yeah. who grow the food and who yeah. make the food, right? And yep. can you – we're we're sort of short on time, but it's it's so important as someone who comes from mm-hmm. a family that has a factory and who's trying to sort of, like – bring the things you've learned in your life into renewing yeah. like what's happening. Can you talk a little about like the worker part of this, yeah. uh, both the cafe, the bakery um, as well as like the farm worker yeah. component of what, what are you trying to do different uh, yeah. or yeah, improve totally. or continue if you already were doing some things. Well. Yeah.
1: Um, so between Chabasso and Atticus, we employ something like 175 people in New Haven. Um, so it's like, it is our duty (laughs) to not just be looking after like the things that we are growing, but looking after these 175 ish people and their families. So since the beginning, my dad has always done like a really wonderful job of setting the expectation of what it means to be a good employer. Um, so that started off with, uh, you know, providing medical insurance for people, as that got more and more expensive with our current medical system, covering the cost of the medical insurance for people, covering the cost of the deductible, um, providing 401k for people. And this is for everyone. It's not just for like management or executives. Uh, like right now at the bakery, I think there's like 70 something people that in their families that have medical insurance through Chivasso. Um, there was this story of, so we, we feed everybody lunch every single day at the bakery, like the soups from the cafe come over. And one day in, a driver was coming in that used to work for us like many, many years ago and he was coming with somebody and like having lunch. And uh, my dad was like, oh, I recognize you, who are you? And this guy was like sick at that point. And he said, he told my dad a story, he was like, yeah, I have diabetes, I didn't do anything about it, I didn't eat really well. And that had a big effect on him and had a big effect on us as a company. So like getting rid of sodas, all this stuff, like how can we be a better steward of what we feed people that turned into creating a garden in the backyard, which turned into New Haven farms. <laughs> um, so it's just like this ongoing, like asking this question of how can we do better and then doing what we can within that. And then in, into Atticus, the, you know, the hospitality in- industry is kind of infamous for being a really tough place to work. Um, it's also a real melting pot. Uh, we have a really diverse staff. So the i think the most important thing for me going in there was to uh look after our 45ish employees mm-hmm. and make sure that like this stressful industry is not something where they they I wanted to like their job mm-hmm. um and to do that you got to show them you have their back so you know beyond that it's uh creating an environment and a culture where people like come to work
0: mm-hmm. how do you do what are some of the things you do to do that yeah <laughs> And Uh, also just the dynamic, like you're the son of the owner, like you're a white guy, most of the people working for you are Latinx, like just what, like, I don't know, it's it's good for people to hear about, like, and what are the challenges, what are some of the things you... Uh,
1: Yeah. Uh, One, being conscious that I'm a white dude, um, and that I have a lot of advantages that other people don't have. So giving people that space, their space, like whatever they need, like how can I help you do this? So being as cool. empathetic and like going that extra, uh, taking that extra minute to make sure that this thing that I would think is a small deal in my life that might be happening to somebody else that is like a huge deal in their life is like okay, cool. I'm going to stop what I'm doing and like make sure you're fine because um, it's like uh, it's 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 what I need to be doing. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not just about selling bread and doing more things. Like I'm happier because I like going to work. I really like working with who we work with. Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, it's if it's like taking our dishwasher to a, to a acupuncturist, because when he, when he went to his doctor, his doctor gave him pain pills, and it's like for carpal tunnel syndrome. It's mm. like, okay, cool. Like, I, let's go get this fixed. Mm. I'll take you to somebody um, yeah. do you know what acupuncture is no it's like all right great do you feel comfortable doing this yeah let's go do it cool um, so doing as many of those things as possible really. yeah um,
0: it's such an important piece I think that like you know part of why people get abused in the system is because they're not treated as human and so yeah. like treating people as human and with empathy and yeah and, and individuality when that's yeah. really needed is is like really at the heart and that's yeah. important cool yeah, so I wish we could keep talking forever, and I want to dig into this bread. <laughs> Sweet, yeah, go on. Um, I guess just to close us out, where do you see this going? I've heard talk of bagels. Uh, <laughs> I, I going to go <laughs> And other things. Where is this going? As yeah. I, as I, I'm going to break into this oh, amazing nice. loaf. Let's hear this. Look Listen to that crusty bread. Yeah. Oh, my God. Delicious. <laughs> and I made a big mess. Yeah, Yum. Perfect.
1: And the next step really is pursuing this process of getting commercial white flour out of the bakery Mm -hmm.
2: yeah interestingly enough the loaf you're eating is sort of an experiment and what what you're looking at is that loaf contains some what's called high extraction flour Mm -hmm. which is on the spectrum of white flour and whole wheat flour Hmm. yeah it looks like
0: it's right in the middle yeah and (laughs) and you'll
2: notice that there isn't any large bran particulate Mm -hmm. right in the in the crumb Mm -hmm. and um, you can compare that with the flour whole grain flour that I that I brought today. Yeah. Um and so what this has let us do is create a comparable overall color to the to the dough. Mm-hmm. while decreasing our white flour by
0: 50%. Wow.
2: Okay, so the That's amazing. the other the, what we've added is this extracted flour. This is coming to us from Main Grains. Hallelujah for Main Grains. Yeah. Big ups. It's a 4-year-old company, 5-year-old company. Yeah, they're company? They're, a,
1: they're a local mill in in Maine.
2: And yeah. and um so <clears> what we yeah, so this this is maybe w-
1: the trajectory of where we're heading. Right. So th- we took the 15% of fresh milled whole wheat flour mm-hmm. from Maine and what what this means is we can go to 50% of high extraction flour from Maine. Um, while getting you like a slightly more intru- a very much more interesting loaf. Yeah. But it's as far as like delicious. Atticus Bakery, we n- are now calling it Atticus Bakery and what the future of that is. And, um, you know, the bread was the first part of this. We have, a, have pastry chef start this week. So um, our next like big new thing is uh, doing the same thing we did to bread, but doing it to to pastry. pastry so like yay croissants yeah. and stuff. watch right. out so. I will be in eating yeah. I'll be <laughs> thank 20 you for pounds coming pastry. thanks for having us <laughs> yeah this was <is> great <laughs> thank you, thank take you take so much
0: it's so great yeah. I, I really love what you're doing I and I hope lots of people get to eat your bread and we love I'm gonna, what you're doing too I'm mm. gonna keep thank you and I'm gonna keep uh, following this this adventure that you're on it's awesome yeah thanks, thanks, thanks so coming. much thanks. thank you for more info about this episode photos and links to the bakery and bread check out thetableunderground.com You can follow us on all the social medias, and please leave a review on iTunes or other podcasting sites to help people find us. I'm Tegan Engel, and this is The Table Underground. Thanks for listening. This is WNHH 103.5 FM, Community Radio in New Haven, Connecticut.